0: The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Well, this begins our 14th year here as um, a church. Just a, a little history lesson, if you're not familiar. We began in the elementary school here in Calera as um, Westwood Calera. We were were sent out from Westwood in Alabaster. And there there are a few here that that came with us when we um, began meeting together. We were Westwood Calera for about three years. Until we became our own autonomous church a church with our own identity, a church with our own mission, a church with our own core values. About three years in, we became Christ Central Church. And we have been now meeting together as Christ Central for 11 years, but together for 14 Now, any organization that exists over that length of time can run into some danger. And that danger is mission drift. We've talked about this as a church before. Mission drift is when an organization drifts from its original mission, what it it set out to do, who it it set out to be. The reality is, is that this usually isn't just a, you know, a singular monumental shift. You know, we're headed in this direction, and then overnight, boom, everything changes, and we're headed in a different direction. Usually, the way a, an organization gets off of its original mission is through a slow drifting. It's it can almost be imperceivable day to day, week to week, um, but over time, the mission and um, the direction of the organization shifts or, or changes through small incremental steps. Now, a church, in, in, a, in a classic sense, is an organization. But we don't, we, don't, we don't act like an organization. We're more of an organism than an organization. We are the, the living body of Christ Jesus expressed here on the earth. But we still, as churches, run into this same sort of, of danger of mission drift. And we, we've got to be careful and vigilant that our, our mission as a church doesn't fall to the, to the wayside. When we became Christ Central Church, we began to communicate our mission as a church with, with one sentence. And it is, if you've been around any any length of time, maybe you've heard it, that we are a Christ-centered family on mission. When we began, became Christ Central Church, that's who we set out to be: a Christ-centered family on mission. That this is what we believe that God has has called us to. And Early on, we determined that this mission is governed, really, by five core values, um, which, by the way, fit into the, this, this mission. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these core values as a church. And this is a, I know this is a departure from our, our normal practice. I'm going to be real upfront and honest with you. It's hard for me. I don't like it. I'd rather just say, all right, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. That's where we're going to be next. And we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way to the end. But we've got to be vigilant as a church that we don't drift from the mission. And you, you can preach sermons like these, and they still be expositional. They don't have to be... They may not be necessarily be uh, consecutive ex- exposition verse by verse, but we still want the, the, the Scriptures, God's Word, to determine... Um, the the message. So that's that's why we're we're in Isaiah chapter 6. So we have five core values as a church that we're going to work through together. Here here they are. These are the next five weeks. Um, Authentic worship, doctrinal depth, covenant membership, a culture of grace, and a missional heart. Now here's the way that you look at these. And here's the way that we're going we're gonna to look at them. It's a way to understand them. So we want to be a Christ-centered family on mission. So to be Christ-centered means to have authentic worship and doctrinal depth. To be a family means covenant membership and a culture of grace. And to be missional means that we have a missional heart. So that that's that's what we're doing. We're looking together at what it means for us to be a Christ-centered family on mission. What it means to really live out these values that that um, hopefully we hold dear, dear. Now, over the next five weeks, uh, these these sermons will have a, a pattern to them, and the pattern will will go like this. And this is usually how. Every sermon should be structured in, in some way. But the pattern is an orthodoxy that informs an orthopraxy. Now those are, you know, seminary words. It's, it's basically um, what we believe. That's the orthodoxy. What we believe. And how what we believe informs what we do, that's the orthopraxy. So that's, that's our flow. What we believe and why we believe it. And I'll just go ahead and let you know what we believe and why we believe it comes from, from God's word. And then how that should inform what we do as a church. Orthodoxy followed by orthopraxy. This should always be um, the pattern. The opposite of that would be pragmatism. The opposite of that is what works the best to get the results that we want, and then we'll we'll go that way and we'll work our, our ourselves backwards. We don't we, we don't want to to function that way as a church. We want to say what does God's word say, what does what do we believe? And if, if God's word is true and it is authoritative, then how does that um, determine how we actually do the things that we've been called to do. So let's begin with the core value of authentic worship. Now, the Bible has much to say about worship. There's a lot of places that we could be um, to to look at what it means um, to have authentic worship. But there is one interaction in, in the scriptures in particular that my mind goes to when we think about what authentic worship is, what it looks like. And that is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and this vision that Isaiah has. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Three things we see in this text that illustrate for us authentic worship. And they are, if you're a note taker, a holy revelation, a holy revelation, a humble realization a humble realization, and a heartfelt readiness. A heartfelt readiness. First thing we see is a a holy revelation. The text begins with Isaiah's account of this this vision where he is um, taken up into the very throne room of God. And he he identifies the, the time here because... And that's important. It's just a really good reminder that what we're reading here is not some made-up you know, group of stories. This is, this is real, real history. We, we can determine this time frame. But it, it begins, in the year that you, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. This, this is always the first step in authentic worship. It is a revelation of who God is. We cannot rightly worship him if we do not rightly know him. We have to come to know him. We have to come to see him. There has to be, there has to be a revelation made from him to us of who he is. Is. Now, some people would say, well, Jason, doesn't the Scripture say that God can be seen in creation? God, the Scriptures say that, that there are some invisible attributes of God that are made visible by creation. This is Romans chapter 1. But that kind of revelation is enough to condemn humanity, not to save them. That revelation is enough to condemn us to say that there is a God, there is a creator, but it isn't enough to reveal to us exactly who this creator is. No, we need God by His grace to make Himself known to us, to reveal Himself to us. Now, I don't mean, when I say that, that this this is some you know, uh, personal experiential revelation, all right? We, we are not, um, you know, swimming in the stream of Pentecostalism where you got to have your own personal revelation and you have your own personal revelation and you have your own personal revelation and, and God's just like He did Isaiah. He's got to draw you up into some sort of vision. What I mean when I say that, that God has to reveal Himself to us is that God in His grace allows a sinner to come and behold the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that this, this revelation happens primarily through the proclamation of His Word. As His Word is preached, as it's taught, as it's shared, it begins to work in a heart... And the glories of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ become clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer until you get to a point to where you've just got to to make a decision. You see him. You see him. He's revealed himself to you. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. God revealed himself to Isaiah. He reveals himself to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen. when Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. He sees Christ Jesus. Now, how do I, I know that? I'm not just making that up. John tells us that in John chapter 12. That we had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, for he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So, this is talking about Christ. It's talking about these, these prophecies of Christ. Verse 41 Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up. Isaiah saw Christ Jesus, and his eyes were open to the glory of God. This is the first step of authentic worship. Seeing Christ Jesus and the glory of the gospel and how God put Him forth as the sacrifice on our behalf for His name's sake. We see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see Him for who He is. We see Him for who He is. This happens through His Word. This is, this is why Paul says, How will they believe in Him whom they have never heard? How will they hear? No one goes and preaches. This happens through the proclamation of the word of God. This revealing of who God is comes to us by His grace. And it meets us right where we are and it changes us. That that is what should happen when we, we come to see the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be changed When our eyes are open and this revelation is made and we see Him, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord and He is high and He is lifted up. This is what Isaiah sees. Now there's an interesting juxtaposition here. Look at at what Isaiah says. In the year that King Uzziah died. You see, this was a king who rose to power at the age of 16 and ruled for 52 years. But he was not the sovereign one. How do we know he wasn't the sovereign one? Because he died. Because he died. In the year that that the earthly king died, I saw the king of kings high and lifted up. I saw the, the real sovereign ruling Christ. On his throne, powerful and majestic. That's, that's the, the language here of his train, the train of his robe filling the temple. Isaiah's eyes are open to see Jesus Christ, the sovereign ruling king of kings, Powerful and majestic. So powerful, so majestic that the the fringe of his robe filled the entire temple in the ancient days as is true today. The train of a robe represented the majesty of a person. We saw this, some of us, the old people, when Queen Elizabeth was coronated. I I don't even know where... She was like 200 years old when she died. You may not have even been alive when that happened. But we've seen the videos on YouTube. And this, this, this train of her robe, this train of her gown just filling the aisle. Majestic. You see it in wedding dresses. See, God is so majestic. He is so powerful. He is so great. At the fringes of his robe filled these entire heavenly temple. He is high. He is lifted up. He is highly exalted. He is above all things. He is before all things. Psalm forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is what Isaiah sees. This. This holy revelation of who God is. And there in his throne room, God is being worshipped. He's being worshipped constantly by creatures created for the sole purpose of singing his praise. Can you imagine how majestic and glorious you must be to have creatures created for the sole purpose to, to sing your praises? That's how majestic He is. That's how glorious He is. Above Him stood the seraphim. And each had six wings. And with two He covered His face. And with two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. We meet these, these creatures here that, that, that it's hard for our minds to even grasp. They are the, the seraph, literally the burning ones. And here they are above the throne. R.C. Sproul notes that God creates animals according to their environment. Right? He doesn't give a fish lungs. He gives them gills and scales because they're, they're created specifically for their environment. God gives birds lightweight, hollow bones, because they're made to, to fly. You see, these seraph, they were created for this environment. They were created uh, Isaiah tells us, with six wings. with two they're covering their eyes, with two they're covering their, their feet, and with two they're fluing. Why? But flying? Why? Because their, their, their habitat, their environment required this. So why are they covering their eyes? They're covering their eyes because they are in the immediate presence of God and the radiance of His glory is so that one cannot even look on Him. The glory of God is so intense that even the angels need to be equipped to shield their eyes from the blinding glory of His presence. With another set of wings, they cover their feet. Why? Because they are Creatures, not the Creator. When Moses was drawn into this this bush that was burning and was not consumed, and the voice of God spoke to him, what did the voice of God say? Take off your shoes, Moses, because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. What made that ground holy? What made that ground holy was that God was there and He is holy. Holy. If that ground in the wilderness was holy, how much more holy is the heavenly throne room? And so with two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. But it isn't their anatomy that's so significant. It's their proclamation. Verse 3, And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In biblical literature, repetition is used for emphasis. But God isn't just called holy, holy. God is called holy, holy, holy. To say that God is holy once would be enough. He is holy. To say that God is holy twice would be emphatic. But to say that God is holy three times is to say that His holiness is incomparable. That is, God is so holy that our minds cannot fully comprehend it and our mouths could not fully express it. Holiness is the only attribute of of God in the Scriptures that is mentioned in triplicate like this. Never does it say that God is loving, loving, loving. Never does it say that God is powerful, powerful, powerful. Never does it say that God is wise, wise, wise. He is those things. But above all of those things, He is holy, holy, holy. He is holy. 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 This is the same description given in um, John's vision in the Revelation in chapter 4. Verses 8 and 9, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. What does it mean for God to be holy? It means that His holiness is His perfection, His total glory, His infinite moral perfection. His holiness is His glory crowned. And when we see Him, For who He is, we are struck by His holiness. To have authentic worship is to have a holy revelation of who God is. That He is above all things. That means He is not our homeboy. He is not to be trifled with. He is not to be toyed with. He is high and lifted up, exalted above the nations, He is holy, holy, holy. He is to be honored and feared. He is to be held in reverence. He is to be worshipped. He is to be taken serious. He is high and He is lifted up. And church, we better have a high view of God. And this high view of God comes from a holy reverence. or revelation leads to a holy reverence in how we should approach Him. Because when we see him for who he is, when we see him for who he really is, it should then by necessity lead us to a humble realization. Look at Isaiah's response in verse 5. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In that moment, Isaiah knew who he was. More than ever, Isaiah knew who he was. Now, how did Isaiah come to know who he was? Isaiah came to know who he really was because it was revealed to him by God displaying who he was. Like Jacob said, this isn't Isaiah going, I mean, I'm Isaiah. I got a a big book of the Bible here. You know what I'm saying? I'm important. I'm better than these people. No, we'll compare ourselves to other people. Well, if you want to know who you really are, you compare yourself to the holy God. Now, when you come face to face with Him and His absolute moral perfection and righteousness and holiness and authority and power and majesty, His sovereignty, when you come face to face with Him, you begin to realize who you are. And now, our response, our right response should be one of a, a humble realization of who we are. You see, in that moment, seeing God's transcendent holiness, Isaiah knew he wasn't holy. I compared to him. Isaiah knew I'm, I'm not God. Isaiah knew in that, mo- in that moment he wasn't very important. Isaiah knew in that moment he was not good enough. That's his confession, isn't it? That's his confession. Woe is me. That's all it that's all can muster. Woe is me. I'm unclean. My lips are unclean. I'm unclean. I live among people who are unclean. You see, real authentic worship, church, is not about us. It shouldn't be about us. There's a lot that parades itself for authentic worship that just seeks to make you feel better. Is there anything in this interaction... At this point, to make Isaiah feel better about himself, woe is me. Woe is me. See, our authentic worship should be about God and our response to it should be a humble realization of just who we are compared to Him. Well, then the miraculous takes place in verse 6. and one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. See, God, Isaiah sees God. He has a holy revelation of Him. That holy revelation of Him leads to a humble realization. And then God, by His grace, steps in. And God cleanses him of his sins. This is expiation. His sins are are, are cleansed. His sin is is atoned for in this moment. And the result is a heartfelt readiness. A readiness to be used by God. And I heard the voice of the the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, sinned. Here I am, send me. When we have a a holy revelation of who God is, when we see who he is in his word. We hear his word proclaimed, we hear it preached, the Spirit of God works in our hearts according to his grace to open our eyes to see the glory of God in the face and the The gospel of Jesus Christ, when we see Him high and lifted up, sovereign, powerful, majestic, our response out of necessity then is, Woe is me, for I am undone. But God in His grace meets us and um, uh, forgives our sins. Our sins have been atoned for by Him who sits on the throne. And the result should always be a heartfelt readiness to be used by God. This is commission. Here I am, Lord. Send me. All of me is is yours because you are holy, holy, holy. This is the pattern of worship that we see in Isaiah chapter 6. I hope you're following to see what Jacob just taught us. It's the exact same pattern, it's the exact same pattern. See, this is the, the orthodoxy of what worship is and what it should be. But how does that inform our orthopraxy? How does that in, inform what we do as a church? Well, listen, church, that, that's why Jacob puts in the hard work that he puts in. The band puts in the hard work that they put in to have a pattern of worship of gathering together to have a pattern that models the the biblical model of worship, the biblical flow of worship, right? Our gathering together as a church needs to have some purpose behind it. And that purpose should be we want to be as biblical as we possibly can be. And so as a congregation, we seek to structure our gatherings together according to this, this flow. This is the flow of the gospel. It should be the flow of our gatherings together. Now, like Jacob said, a lot of churches have liturgy. This is liturgy. A lot of churches have liturgy, and it's, it's very structured. It's very formal, and it's, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're titled there in the, in the handout and, and you know, we don't have that sort of liturgy, but this is the pattern that we, we, we follow every, every week. I hope this helps you understand why it is we sing what we sing when we sing it. We read the scriptures when we read them because we're looking to follow a biblical pattern. Now, the pattern that, that a lot of churches follow is usually we need a really fast song. We need one that's super upbeat. We need to engage the people. We need to get their attention. So we're going to start. You know, there's going to be the, the videos going on the screen. It's going to be the hype video, and it's going to end with everybody applauding and then bam, we're into the big song. And everybody jumps to their feet. And we're going to start with the fast song because we really got to get them engaged. we got to get them feeling good. We got to get them here. And then we're going to just gonna, you know, slowly move. You know, we we'll start with the fast and then another, you know, and then we're just gonna build up to the to the the monumental slower songs, you know, and and uh, you know what that does, church? That manipulates emotion. That's what that does. That manipulates emotion. It, it, more than that, here's the problem that I see with it. It puts man's emotions and man's needs as the center. How can we structure this gathering together so that you feel the best that you can feel about what we're doing? Is that here in Isaiah 6 anywhere? I will tell you what manipulations and gimmicks and entertainment are. They are a low view of God. That's what they are. Because if you think that we've got to resort to those kinds of things, then He is not the sovereign Lord of lords. It's like He needs those things to get His people. He don't need those things to get His people. He didn't need those things to get Isaiah. He didn't need those things to get me. He doesn't need those things to get you. He is high and lifted up, and we are low and undone. You see, when the church recovers a high view of God, we should move from being man-centered to God-centered. And our worship, our gathering together, should be one that moves from being man-centered to God-centered. To have a high view of God, to have authentic worship means that this life, your life, my life, it is not about me. It means that church, this church is not about me. And it's not about you. It means that the Bible is not about me. It's not about you. It means that we are not the point, that God is the point. Because he is the one that is high and lifted up. He is the majestic. He is the powerful. He is the sovereign. He is the only one. Holy, holy, holy. And so when we come, we say, God, would you please, by your grace, make yourself known to me in your holiness today. Through your word, would I come to see you. For who you are. And when we see it, when we come face to face with it, our response then should be this humble realization of who we are in desperate need of His grace and forgiveness. It's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He meets us with His grace and forgives our sins, the next step of authentic worship is to say, Here I am, God. Send me. Use me. Authentic worship always results in commission always it always results in a heartfelt readiness now i think churches like ours we, can, we, can, we we can we can go all day on a holy revelation of god from the scriptures preach lord and we can we can get to a humble realization the total depravity of man let's yes woe is me but may we not stop short of a heartfelt readiness. Because if we don't leave this place ready and willing to be used for the glory of God on the earth, then have we really met with Him? Have we really worshipped Him? That's why we say the Great Commission together each week. What does it mean to be a Christ-centered family on mission? The first thing it means is that we have authentic worship. We see God for who He is, a holy revelation. We realize who we are, a humble realization. And we respond according to His grace by heartfelt readiness to be used by Him. Father, would you help us be this kind of church, one that centers itself on you and your word, That follows these patterns of, of worship in our gathering together for your glory, for your name's sake. Because you are high and lifted up, the train of your robe fills the temple. You are holy, holy, holy. God, when we see you in your holiness, would our natural response be, woe is me. This humble realization of our sin, our, our unholiness, our need to be made holy by you. And may we find then in that moment the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel as we yield our hearts to him as Lord and Savior. <clears throat> and then may we respond as a congregation with a heartfelt readiness that says here we are lord send us In christ's name that we pray amen thank you for listening to this christ central church sermon series to find our gathering location and more sermons visit christcentralchurch.net